record and I reckon we can start chatting. Yeah, Love cool. it. Dave, how, how are, are you? you? Very well. Oh, I'm not actually. I've been very yeah, you've been unwell sick. for the last few days. Don't no, lie to the back. listeners. <laughs> back though. Just a, is the spring virus going around? Might be, yeah. Because I hung out last night with a guy who had the exact same thing on the same timeline. So mm. Mm. who knows? Uh, we've got very, two very esteemed guests, uh, Steve and Guy from Stomping Ground. Now I guess it's probably the... The best descriptor. You've been from a few places over the years. We're at the, the Tap House, so you're of the Tap House as well. Um, hey, guys. Hey, thanks hey. for having us. Happy Movember. Happy, Happy Movember. Movember. Are you guys both doing it? <laughs> well, it's a little embarrassing, but, but I am trying to. Okay. Let's call it, let's <laughs> you're only a day in, so yeah. you're, you're fine. I'm probably a couple of days late, so I need to shave down and get going. I yeah. might cheat a little bit. A lot of I, I used to get annoyed. You see people start growing it like a week before. You're like, come on. Or they just shave, the, like they don't shave the mo, and they're yeah. like... Got three months worth of mo on yeah. November second. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see, the thing is, for me, I'm I'm not thinking like I've got to grow it for thirty days or something. I'm thinking I'm just supporting the cause. Like, sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm like, yeah. So I don't mind if I cheat a little bit. I don't want to look like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this is kind of we're kind of chatting on the back of some pretty big news. Um, I guess we're at the local tap house, which is your your first ever venue, um, and the first place that ever had. Gabs Festival, or back then the Spectacular. No, it was the, uh, great, the great, great Australian Beer Spectacular, spectacular but yeah. we'd had, I think, 11 Spectaculars prior to the Great, Austra- great Australian Beer Spectacular. Um, and now you've, you've since sold that. You've sold the event. You've sold the festival. We've sold the, uh, yeah, we've sold Gabs and, and the company that uh, Guy and I started about four years ago. So we split it out from the local tap house. No, was it more? No, no, it was 2012 that we set it up. Spectacular Enterprise, wasn't it? Yeah, it was seven years ago that we set it up. Seven years ago. It's like dog years or Gab's years. (laughs) How many? You said four years ago. Yeah, I thought it was about four or five. You know, because I had to do all the due diligence and I had to sort of send the ASIC files to everyone, it was actually January 2012 that we set the company up. Um, So there you go. All right. Seven years. And it grew from an event here. And and the local tap house in, in Sydney. So we ran these seasonal... Spectaculars or spectaculars, each with a different theme. So we'd had Canadian beers and American beers and whatever winter beers, and each one had its own beer theme. And the, we dressed up the venues, and the staff got involved in everything. And that the the first gabs was we just invited twenty of our favourite brewers around the country to make or release a beer on the same day because clearly there were a growing number of breweries releasing new beers, and we just said, wouldn't it be cool if everyone just brought one of those beers along and released it? to a kind of um, an excitable beer crowd. And uh, we, were, we were sniffing around ideas for a, an event that we could take beyond the four walls of the venues because we, were, we, had, we had these spectacular events and, and they were full of people, but we just kind of felt we wanted to do something a bit bigger. And when we had that event, I was in Sydney at the tap house there and Guy was down here because we used to take it in turns for the, for the various gab, uh, very spectaculars, spectaculars and spectaculars. <laughs> and... Um, it was just a great success. There was such a great vibe in the place. And uh, afterwards we said maybe that's the idea that we'll kind of take to bigger pastures. Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of add to that. that we, after we'd had like a Star Spangled Spectacular. We'd had a Anzac Spectacular. We'd had a Moose and Mountie Spectacular, which is a Canadian one, an, an Italian one. So we'd had all these different ones and they'd all gone great and we'd had so much fun. The staff would get dressed up and like Steve was saying, we'd have themed food in the, in the, in the theme. But when we did Gabs, um, it resonated with both the consumers and the beer industry in a way that we could not have imagined. 
um, here in Melbourne where the scene was probably um, really just had this this buzz about it, every um, brewer that um, was in the industry showed up. I remember Sam Fuss was there, the Stone and Wood guys were there. And this was the, the ones here? At the, yeah, at the pub? That's right. Well, so like, as Steve says, Steve was in Sydney and I was here. And, and I think uh, James Smith from Crafty Pint was here and he did some filming at the same time. But I just remember there was a buzz and we had queues out the door. There was like probably – it was we, we opened the doors at 12 p.m. sharp and there were like there was a couple of hundred people in the queue and we couldn't believe it. We were like taking photos of like and, – and the same thing happened in Sydney but it was even more pronounced here in Melbourne – and we were just like Steve and I kind of spoke to each other. And we said we I think we've we've touched on something pretty special here. Mm. Everybody was just um, couldn't wait to see what each brewery had done, and um, and what they'd brought to the table. And it was kind of like this um, palpable vibe, this excitement about what has every single brewer done. And when everybody was here, it was like the who's who of the fledgling brewing industry. I mean, obviously, we say fledgling. I mean, we're talking sort of almost 10 years ago now, uh, nine years ago, whatever it was. So there's, there was a lot of breweries that have still been around for a while, but not many. It was a, a different, as you said. It's a different era. Yeah. Everyone that you knew around the beer world was, was coming to these events and, and to the one in particular. Whereas now, I don't think that happens at all, does it? It wouldn't. Yeah, well, I think there's just probably too many of them um, in order uh, for everybody to do it. But it was, I, I just remember looking around the room, you know, seeing Simon Walkenhorst from, um, from Hargraves Hill and, you know, Sam Force. I, I, I'm not, I can't remember which brewery she was with at the time. Um, and True the, South. True South. Yeah. Yeah. True South, yeah. And there was a... a Sean Sherlock was here Sean as well Sherlock, from Murray's. Sh- yeah. Were you here, Dave? Yeah, I was here. I remember like the excitement, like palpable is the perfect word for it. Because in the lead up... People like it was a, a buzz. It was there's the, just the fact that twenty unique beers were going to be released at the same time at the same venue was exciting. I remember when there were there's like hundreds of people outside waiting. There was probably half a dozen people getting people in the venue to like put the menu up on the glass so they could scope out what they were going to get before they got into the venue, and it was very very exciting. Yeah. That um that list I think is still up on the Gabs website as well, isn't it? Yeah, well I, we used to do a. Blog. I think I found it uh, in my when I moved house a couple of a couple of times ago, and I've still got the original yeah, right. list somewhere. We used to I think little, I sent, we used to I make I sent you a booklets. photo of it. Yeah, yeah, we used to make little booklets uh, that I painstakingly put together very amateurly, but uh, they had uh, Steve all the was ru- our graphic the designer at the time, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and it was it was very low five, but it was like it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, so there are, those, those booklets are still around, but I know there is one photograph of someone inside holding it up to someone looking at it outside. I think so that person was Josh bit. in that was photo, it? Josh Olgens from Moondog. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so fr- from that sort of event, uh, you moved straight to the exhibition centre. Yeah, so much. we pretty quickly started to plan where we might take it and we looked at a few different venues and... I think, uh, I don't know how it came to pass, but we went out to the Royal Exhibition Building and we thought, this would be amazing, obviously. Now, St- Steve was driving around in the car one day and he, and he just, he said, he rang me and he said, I found the venue that we're going to take it to. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? He goes, the Royal Exhibition Building. I said, what? Are you kidding? And he goes, it's unreal. It's like heritage. It's beautiful. And I've put a hold on it. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said what, what the hell are you talking about? And he goes, I've put a hold on it already. I said, you're, you're mad. Like, and then we went there and I saw how big it was. <laughs> and like, like I shut myself. <laughs> I was like, and, I, and, he, and he was like, well, we'll just take one of the knaves. Because like, there was the Western nave and the Eastern nave and the North. And you could, you could actually at the time, 
just book out one of the knaves. So mm. we were kind of saying we'll just take one of the knaves. But it was like, so <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Like, and this is this is how we kind of operate. Like Steve comes up with an amazing idea, and we kind of then have to make it happen. Um, and uh, and it was just like I just I just remember. Then when I saw it, I fell in love with the place immediately. Like it was just it was stunning. But for us to I don't know where we got went from. Let's do the Royal Exhibition Building, which is nuts of in, in its own idea. But then we went and said, let's do it over three days, five sessions. Like that's in now. That's I look back and think we were absolutely mad to do that but then we went and spoke. it's because we didn't know what we didn't know yeah and we went and spoke with um the age newspaper a friend of guys i think was in sponsorship and he kind of said listen you should ask for for or hope to get this sort of money in sponsorship um from them contra sponsorship and we went in there and the head of partnerships uh, for the age was craig williams who's now our event director or the event director of the um of the event and uh the age at that time had good food, uh, had good wine, but uh, Craig knew that there was this surge of interest in, in craft beer coming. And uh, he uh, jumped on board and he supported and we walked out and we, th- we were just skipping with joy because he offered us, I think, five or six times the dollar value of what we were told we could expect. Mm. And I think that level of interest and uh, support from the age, uh, I think, gave us uh, some cu- extra courage to think that we could, we could do it. And um, then we had the first event, and um, in the very first <laughs> event, we had just two containers, shipping containers, and we had a stand, a, uh, a stage in the middle, but no, we, no exhibition, no exhibitor, no, no exhibitor stands at all, mm. just at all. the two, con- um, two containers. Yeah, and well, even uh, that at the time felt crazy, like yeah. it felt huge. It did, yeah, it did. But well, but it was interesting because I think um, what we didn't realise, uh, what we didn't know, like we kind of pitched it. And we were, at the time, we were probably, we were thinking if we got 4,000 people, we'd be thrilled. And then after the age came on board, we kind of sort of got a little bit more ambitious. And we ended up getting somewhere around 8,000 people in that very first um, festival. But I reckon, uh, like just anecdotally, without knowing the exact numbers, I reckon about 50% of them were just there for a piss up. Mm. And the other 50% were really interested in in great beer. And I think that... um, I mean, Steve was probably about to say, we actually ended up, we, we, we set up this entire bar system, which we tested, that just broke down on mm. the days. And um, and we just, the queues all of a sudden ended up 45 minutes long, yeah, I think. horrible. And it was really freaky. I do remember seeing you both standing up on the sort of second level, looking down and sort of gesturing and motioning to how, you know, next session we're going to change it. Because you then changed it. Each session, twi- didn't you? Yeah, we changed it as best we could, but the system, I, I, I'm responsible for that, for that system, and uh, in that, I kind of wanted to create a um, a process where people could get all the tasters at one bar, mm-hmm. and I kind of sold it to these guys, and I said, "This is going to work. This is going to work," and it worked for the quieter sessions, but as soon as it got busy, they just backed up, and I remember it was so stressful as you say we were trying to figure out how we could improve it on the spot, but I clearly remember going down the line trying to keep people happy and saying encouraging them to get two paddles at a time so you could you know you wouldn't have to come back in a hurry but we got castigated on on social media and I had to kind of turn that off and I said a guy just give me the constructive comments not the vitriol (laughs) and uh, it was probably the most stressful day of my life it was I remember very very clearly and I tell this story often of going into one of the stairwells which as you (laughs) say it was all blocked off upstairs but uh, we I went into a back stairwell and I remember the cold concrete. I lay down, the cold concrete on my back, and I looked up and I thought, fuck, I've just 
this is the end of me. We're going to be broken. I'll have to sell my home and all this sort of stuff. So it was a really, really. Oh, I found him in there. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing on the ground? <laughs> what do you, yeah, what do you say when you find Steve lying on his back? Well, like, I don't think in our entire time together in, in you know, in the 12 odd years that we've been working together that I, I've ever seen him in such a, <laughs> at such a low point. But like he was, because he was sort of managing the social media side of things a lot more than I was. So I was kind of like. Um, managing the finance side of things and we had these ridiculous we had these tokens that we thought were brilliant because they were like poker chips <laughs> and no one could you know it was, it was all, we were very concerned about people copying them and counterfeiting and then effectively stealing from us and we, so we saw, sourced <laughs> them from China and they were like kind of like 50 cents they were cents poker soft. chips yeah. like proper yeah. poker chips and they, but they weigh like when you once see so people got sort of five of them they were worth two bucks each and so you'd get packs of, of ten dollars worth and, and then like the counting of them and the, and the, the whole distribution of them we had buckets of the the stuff and then and they were so heavy and then we had to weigh them and and i had like because i didn't know who to trust i had my mum and my dad and my like my sister in the cash room and steve's mum and all this sort of stuff and it was a tiny little box and it was so hot and we were all sweating and it was just like we were such amateurs when we look back on it we had no idea what we were doing we had to learn so quickly a funny counterpoint to both of those stories um uh, being a low point and feeling amateurish i think a pretty general feeling with everyone that we talked to at least of that first uh festival was like yeah yeah like obviously there were some issues there but gee the steven guy is such pros you could see them like thinking on their feet being agile about it like those guys are all over it uh, and that was i guess the opposite <laughs> of what you guys were feeling yeah because yeah. you know, like, because the implications for us were very severe like we're it's it's a story we've told and we'd kind of i don't know how far we want to go down that rabbit hole but we lost an awful lot of money that we couldn't afford to lose and um it's uh it almost broke us and we had to borrow money uh, um from the bank and um it's it was and then we sat down with our wives because like what you said, we felt that there was a, a seed of a or kernel of a, of a good idea there. There were people who had enjoyed themselves and the beer. With, I think we had fifty eight beers. I think in the in the first year, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. It was supposed uh, to be sixty, and a couple pulled out, yeah. and so we and ended up being fifty eight or fifty nine. Yeah, and we kind of just felt that there was a really strong idea there, and we sat down with the wives and said, "Listen, we know we almost lost everything, and it almost killed us, but maybe we can go again." And to their credit, they um they let us do it they gave immediately. Us green light. Immediate green lights. Yeah. Uh, well, I think. I think they had enough faith in us to. Well, sort we of locked know. the doors until they said yeah, okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you know, I think, I mean, aside from the fact that it was, you know, what you said, Dave, is true. Like we were kind of thinking on our feet and trying to say, okay, well, how do we fix this? And I think in some ways um, we kind of at that point in time created a culture where we were always trying to tweak and and fix, and it's probably something that you know nine festivals later has sort of endured in terms of um, it's part of our DNA now to always look at. And I think Steve was very, um, very instrumental in this because I remember even after the first session, um, or the, 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 f- the session that we got hammered on in terms of the cues, he was saying, okay, everybody come, come together, debrief, um, what, you know, what went wrong, how can we fix it? And we were so focused on, on um, improving that that kind of then became part of our modus operandi in terms of how do we fix things every single time. We look at every single pain point and how do we eliminate that pain point. And that's kind of something that has endured ever since. I guess one thing as well is festivals and 
2019 that are doing similar things have queues. They have problems. It's hard to run a festival and it's hard to run it smoothly. So, like, you know, for that, for that sort of scale that you were doing, you know, 60 taps, small tasters for each person, five tasters at a time, of course you're going to get it wrong. Yeah, as well, yeah, and the queues were 45 minutes at their worst, which is kind of, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, the, the amazing thing was how forgiving people were, like... Many, not all. Not all, <laughs> but I think the people... Yeah, you were reading the socials. <laughs> yeah, but the people that we lost, I think, were the people that were there not for the right reasons, well, not for the... And, and in some ways, I think, I think um, the success that's, um, that's happened since was somewhat as, as a result of the people that were real believers gave us another chance and the people that were just there for the piss up and they were just there and thought there was no great value there and didn't really get what we were trying to do probably fell by the wayside and the second year all of a sudden we had a like we had the people that were willing to give us another chance and a whole bunch of new people that were interested and we created a uh, a culture which is a weird thing to sort of say um within the festival of people that really got it Mm. and ever since then we feel as though we've got the the DNA of our festival goers are people that are just there to have a great time, a really happy, uh, really kind of understanding of the challenges that, you know, putting something like this together, uh, that you face putting something like this together and have been really forgiving in terms of, um, but also, you know, the, every, everyone from the volunteers to the attendees to the, to the staff have all kind of felt like they're a part of something and um, a, a bit of a movement, I, I think. and and. Correct me if I'm wrong, SJ, but um, the um, it just it feels like there's there's like a little Gabs culture. Like when you're there, people are just happy to be there and they're enjoying themselves. I think we learnt a lot um, just just on the on the on the job of how people behave in that sort of uh, environment. And some examples, or one example I'll give is just how what the buying behaviour is. So we were. You could have twice as three times as many bars to try and cope for that first hour, but then it go it falls off a cliff, so to speak, is because people are spreading their purchasing over over the course of the afternoon. So it we're always the biggest headache for us was always the container bars in the first ninety minutes, mm. and um, but after that it was absolutely fine. So we would encourage people to go to the exhibitor bars, which we introduced in the second year at the Royal Exhibition Building, to kind of take the pressure off. Mm. Um, and that kind of helped. And even just two or three years ago, we put up a sign that we lit and it was really bold and, you know, people could see it to, to communicate that message because I was previously trying to get on the microphone and people couldn't hear. But uh, just a, mic- a message that said, you know, the beers won't run out, come back in 90 minutes and you'll, and you'll be good. If you're in a queue, you're choosing to be in a queue. Mm. So we learned all this uh, and learned how to, I guess, improve that customer experience um, over, over the years. And... The, the luckiest thing that we've, we've had, I guess, is that the festival renews every year. Like, we're obviously motivated to – have been motivated to uh, improve every year. But because we've got those festival beers, and it was very, very part of our clear strategy to get more festival beers um, each year. So I think it took about four years to get up to about 160 or so. Mm. Um, but that's the nice. That's the great thing about Gab is that every year there's another 160 new beers and ciders that uh, that draws people back year and year. It's not like you've been once and you don't need to go again. It, there's something new every year to come back for. Um, yeah. So I guess from that first year, then going to we, when did you expand outside of Melbourne? Was that second, that third, year four? Year four? Mm-hmm. So year, 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 year four, four. Well, it was actually. 
was actually technically year five because um, 11, 12, 13, I think it was, no, it was 14. 14. It was 14 that we went to Sydney for the first time. Which is the third year after the Royal Exhibition Building. Yeah. Um, and did you just encounter all the same problems moving to a new space? No, no, not no. Really, because we'd, we'd had three or four years of learning. Um, so we we found this great venue. Um, it wasn't as big as we felt we would need. We, it, but it was an incredible building, great character. Uh, it, it, it was, was actually it was actually a fan, someone who'd been to Gabs for you know the, every single festival that said, "You've got to go and check out the Australian Technology um, Park." And so we did, and they were they were. Dead right because it had character and it had everything that we were kind of keen on. Like it had, it, it was difficult to uh, to set up in because it had columns all over the place. But uh, f- we were there for what two years, I think. And the first year we just did one day, two sessions, a Saturday, and then the following year I think we added a Friday night mm-hmm. session. Uh, but then uh, the building itself was acquired by Mervac or one of the big developers, and so they weren't having any more of these. Uh, I think we uh, were there for three, three? years, SJ. Were we? Three yeah, years. I think we were because because it was 14, 15, 16, and then in at the we've been 17, 18, 19 at the That's, showground. Okay. So three years there, and so we outgrew it, and then we had this real dilemma of where the hell can we go, and we looked at a number of places in the centre of town, uh, in Sydney, and there was just in there nothing there. So we went out to the showground, and uh, it it suited our needs, but it was forty minutes out of town, and we were very very nervous about moving from where we were out to, to there. And that, I think the first year we moved out there, we saw a drop in, a small drop in attendance. Which or was at a, least a flat line. Or a flat line, yeah, it was very minor it was, drop. It would have been a half a percent drop, but, um, but it was like, we were getting growth year on year, but all of a sudden it was just flat. flat. In Sydney, and then in the subsequent years since, I think it grew 23%, and then again 21% or something like that. So Sydney is the fastest growing gabs, and those buildings, while they're not, they require us to dress them up more, and that's one of our creative challenges uh, when we go into these cities that don't have Royal Exhibition buildings, is how do we kind of create that um, Gab's vibe? But the benefit of those buildings is that you can scale quite easily. So mm. in Sydney and Brisbane and in Auckland, we're in buildings that we can just add halls, which is, which was, which is what we do. In Melbourne, we've got the problem now where we're virtually at capacity, and we're scratching our heads and say, well, you know what do we what do we do now? But um, uh, this is probably jumping ahead a little bit. But are you scratching your heads anymore? Well, Personally, pro- I just <laughs> realised as I was saying that I was yeah. I, I like it's uh, it's this is a scratching a, a, someone else's yeah, head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a weird, like it's a weird process. The, the, the only thing you left out is the the thing that is amazing about the um, the sort of purpose built exhibition buildings is that the bump in and the bump out process is just so amazingly simple in comparison to trying to bump in and out of a Royal Exhibition Building or a Australian Technology Park. Um, and it it just creates so many so many so fewer headaches. Mm. So it's actually it's amazing. While that character and like we, we did look at the mech at one point in um, in Melbourne. So Jeff Shed. In mm. Jeff Shed. And uh, because we thought how are we gonna grow beyond, you know, the capacity of the R E B but it's kind of a spiritual home of Gabs now, the REB, and we we just couldn't bring ourselves to sort of move away from such an iconic building and the home of the real home of Gabs. So, talking about I guess the building and the location of the building, because um, that's I think a huge mm. benefit. Um, if that wasn't the first place where you, that building didn't exist, do you think Gabs could have 
kind of taken hold as a cultural thing? Like, is that is that key to get establishing yourselves? Uh, that's a good question. I've never I've never thought of that before. I, 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 I think, think you're right. Would, I think it couldn't have. I don't know. It would. It might have been a different journey. But I think that the the idea clearly, as we've taken it to other cities mm. that don't have REBs, mm. um, but that's because we had the DNA there already. I, I think I think it already had its kernel. Like. I don't know. I think I, I think, think the REB helped significantly helped because people were wowed by the building. It's an incredible building, and Beautiful, a lot of people yeah. either hadn't been in there before, had only been in there maybe to do their exams, and had never seen it dressed up like we had dressed it up. And and that was certainly though. I always just had this vision of of it being just the mo- if we dressed it up well, it would be the most incredible beer hall in the world. Um, and I still kind of feel that's that's the case. I've been to a that, few. That's beer the halls. vision. When when we close your eyes and you think. You know the Royal Exhibition Building with tables and like with benches and 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 tables everywhere, and everybody drinking beer. Think like Oktoberfest in Germany, but in a stunning, you know, nineteenth uh, century building um, that's World Heritage listed. That's kind of like when you close your eyes and you think of the vision of what an amazing beer hall would look like. Mm. That's kind of what I see, and and that's what that I get really excited. Yeah, there's definitely something about it because I mean we do our we do our show there every year and. Whenever we like meet up and set up, we sort of always mention like it feels like it feels like Gabs, doesn't it? And like the building's obviously a huge part of that, but it just feels like it. Yeah, mm. I've been to a couple of festivals there. I mean, there was a beer festival there, I think, that predated Gabs. There was, yeah, there was. Um, I remember Chopper Reed had a beer at the time, <laughs> and this was yeah. So you know that pre kind of what we've seen now. So I think Mountain Goat were there. There's Chopper's beer. Was um, that a beer and brewer? Um, could have been, I, and I, I wasn't involved in, in beer as, yeah, as I, I am was, now. I think it was um, beer and brewer. Who I remember did. there was Xboxes, um, yeah. a lot of really bad beers. Yeah. Bees knees. I remember that was probably the first time I tried that. Yeah, um, the but Tour de Bay. Yeah, but I don't think it. And I guess that wasn't dressed up to be the exhibition centre. It was dressed up to be a beer festival with you know Xbox zones and things yeah. like that. Because I think you guys kind of leaned into the building and went. Yeah, yeah, and listen, it was it's, it's, we were just in the right place at the right time. Like we had a good idea, but it was the right place at the right time. Like I think uh, it would be very hard in some ways to try and in some ways it might be very hard to do that now. Obviously, there's so many beer festivals around, uh, all struggling as we are fighting as Gabs as we were with Gabs to to remain relevant. And uh, but in those days, we just it just kind of happened at the right time because this burgeoning in- interest in craft beer was happening. The quality was getting better. It was um, like even in the first year there was a lot of trestle tables, but uh, and and you know jockey boxes. But obviously we've seen over the years of the as exhibitors, well, you of mean. the exhibitors, mm, yeah. Mm. But uh, we've seen, it, in particularly in the last four or five years, breweries really stepping up and uh, working ha- their A-game. yeah, working hard to kind of create a more engaging um, activation space. Um, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Some are doing that, but mm. uh, you don't have to. Uh, and it's got to be creative uh, and true to brand. Yeah, you got to, got to stand out. I, I think of, you know, the, the the bigger breweries, like say Panhead, for example, uh, they always kind of do quite a big thing. Garage Project for years had huge ones. Yeah, um, well, yeah no, and no, I mean, the size was one thing, but the creativity was, yeah. I think, the, the thing that really the, stands The Mecca out. Hop. The Mecca um, Hop and the um, Godzilla. What yeah. was it? What was it? The... Uh, it was Mecca Hop, which was the but, and it was the Umami Monster. Yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah. Monster. And that, yeah. but that stand was a pretty simple stand. Like it had, it had a, a huge back wall, and then I think they had people signing it and all of that sort of yeah, stuff. But one of the the eyes, one of the eyes. Well. Yeah. 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 yeah, That was a little yeah. just touch, yeah. like right at the end when he when he kind of yeah. lit it up, and then he looked at me and he gave <laughs> me a wink and said, "Huh?" And I was like, "Very fucking cool, man." 
Um, but then coming back to, I think, when Wildflower were there for the first year, and their stand was very much yep. the jockey box system. Which, yeah. um, but their beer spoke for itself. Yeah, and they, they had yeah. something written on a card. You know, their, their beers were written on dirty bit of cardboard. I think they had much. butcher's paper that they could like change perception yes, and roll yeah. down. And but, yeah, but that's you know that's almost like the anti kind of uh, yeah. and and that worked as well. It wasn't it wasn't just a boring stand. It was yeah. actually a, I think a quite a creative. Yeah, it's also anti- like yeah. very true to their brand as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, you know Wolf of the Willows is another one when they. Uh, were nearby a lot of the big American breweries when, you know, they, I think the year that I wrote that article. And they just have really good beers. Both the, the uh, Renee and Scott were there the whole time, so they're engaging. And they had that, you had, had that, the, the, hammer the nail, nail thing. thing. Yeah. And Which they did to, at a few festivals. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It became their thing. Yeah. And I really like that. I mean, it's simple. Yeah. It's, it's simple, you, so but like it's to. engaging every time though. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, we're back. We've got a new beer. Uh, do we want to talk about the beer just quickly? A little bit of a sidebar. What, what have we got here? It's Jester King, and it's their Nocturne Crystallis. I think, yeah, is what um, I heard. And it's it's kind of like it's a it's a creek. It's um, kind of different though, isn't it? And it's different to the last creek we had by the same same mob. Mm. We had a bit of a Jester King showcase here at the Tap House, and uh, some amazing beers. So we just thought we'd go through a couple of them while we got them. Yeah, this take this. I preferred the the previous yeah I'm the um, same, creek, but yeah. this is nice. Did you say the previous one was cherry wine yeah, barrel aged? Ch- yeah, that's right. And it had that real cherry, definitely mm. cherry pet flavour, which I like. Mm. This is a bit sweeter, definitely. Yeah, um, fun though. Drinking Jester King beers, uh, you know, they they come into the country pretty sporadically, don't they? Yeah, um, that was make a beer. Like yeah. Um, so I guess one of the things, and you know, we've kind of talked about. Gabs as it grew and, and what it grew into, um, and I, one of the things that kind of probably was a necessity. I don't, I don't know if it was, but I'm assuming was engaging uh, Dan Murphy's um, and including you know breweries like Blue Moon that people who are I guess the pointier end of craft look at and go, oh they're just taking you know big dollars from from big business and mm. you know to them that kind of taints the festival. I'll speak to that because. Um First of all, Dan Murphy's. Uh, let's let's treat him differently. So Dan Murphy's first of all was our very first um, founding partner. As uh, uh, they came on board in 2012, the first year we took it to the REB, um, and they were really supported from from day one. Um, like while they are big business and they're Woolworths, one of the things I love about them is um, as as much as they get a dirty dirty rap from a lot of people in the industry. They're a bit of a champion for craft beer in this country and I think I take my hat off to them because the guys that I've dealt with personally and I used to look after sponsorship for Gabs, that was my thing before Craig came on board, um, they were always awesome to deal with. Mm. They always, Caitlin before Billy and and then the marketing people as well, Megan and, and, um, and for a while there was... Um, um, Yolanda. Yolanda. No, but and after Yolanda, after Yolanda, we we used to deal with. Um, uh, yeah, she's just gone to have a baby. Come on. Uh, don't, don't do this. Oh. To me. <laughs> sorry. Anyway. Anyway. Um, sorry. I don't think she listens. That'll yeah, be okay. fine. <laughs> she probably listen. But anyway, they've all been fantastic to deal with, and they're they're not um, they're not sort of pretending. They're real people that are right into into beer, and they mm. champion good beer. And you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, their terms, or you know, this or that, or the other." 
both as a brewery and as a festival, we've had nothing but positive experiences with these guys. I can understand that a lot of independent, you know, retailers might feel they're getting muscled out of the market by these mm. guys, and I, and I get that. But in terms of champions of craft beer, they're the real deal. Just speaking to that briefly, my local one now in Preston have got an enormous craft beer section, and then they've got a subset of that where they've got just locals, and then they've got little uh, little notes going. Made like in Alphington, yeah. made in Reservoir, made like just doing awesome. all the little subs things just to give you a little bit extra information about where your beer's made. And I it's awesome. It. Yeah, it's really good. And, and that's what I mean. Like, yeah, they are big business, um, but they do champion great beer. And, and while you can understand if you're a small independent retailer and feeling like it, you just can't compete, um, I know a lot of people give them exactly the same pricing as they give anyone else. And, and they really have champion beer. So that aside, they've been fantastic. Um, in terms of the, the um, you know, uh, getting big beer on board as, as a, you know, as a partnership, um, partners and or um, sponsors and, and, you know, and holding stands. Um, I think the, the end of Ferris was probably the, the big one that people point to, you know, Coca-Cola, whatever. Yenda uh, and or uh, Lion yeah, and, uh, yeah. and, uh, and CUB with the Yaks and stuff like that. It, it, we kind of felt... And, and I, I like maybe Steve might want to speak to this um, a little bit more, but we kind of always felt that um, these guys, if we were going to be inclusive and part of our brand ethos was about being inclusive and about bringing everyone along for the ride, there's a lot of people who were introduced to better beer through one of these um, almost gateway beers, whether it was James Squire, whether it was Yak, or whether it was um, another one of these kind of big, um, big beer owned craft brands and then they start on their craft beer journey and then they understand and then maybe the the discourse around ownership and around independence and all that then kicks in at some point but we felt that they felt that they played uh, a pretty important role in bringing people along for the ride and we didn't want to therefore dictate to a consumer to say no you're wrong you're wrong to like james squire and you're wrong to like fat yuck or you're wrong to to like yenda if this is your way in and this is an epiphany for you to say there's more to beer than you know than some mainstream full strength brands that are out there this is an opportunity for us to bring people into the fold and uh and as a result i mean there's commercial reasons as well of course they have the budgets and without those sorts of uh sponsorship dollars the festival would not have been viable mm. so there's those commercial considerations as well 100 percent. but but from an ethos point of view or a um or a um, you know, f- f- from the point of view of, uh, uh, you know, h- how does that all work for the, for how do we reconcile big beer versus independent beer? That, that's kind of how it worked for us. We felt that that was a real gateway and it brought people into the fold and it started them on their journey. Did you want to add anything to that? No. Okay, it's, it's the same thing in the Hottest 100 is that we get a bit of flack from letting mainstream craft in there as well. But bear in mind that these events and the Hottest 100 started 10 or 9, 10 a year, a years ago. But it's, it's right what Guy says. We've even had, when we opened here, we had James Squire Pilsner run for a while because we felt it was the best example that we could get in this country. Um, of a locally made, of, of a locally made uh, you know, lager. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who aren't into craft beer or weren't into craft beer, and I just felt the, it was just it was horrible. I, I, like, I don't agree with the likes, the brands like Brewdog who just put down people who drink mainstream lager because most of my friends do, and no one likes being judged for, you know, 
for anything that you drink or just consume. So um, we, we've, we, I think we've tread of, uh, the right line. Like we have, we've turned down brands before. Well, I guess, yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. Where is that line or, or how is that judgment call made? Right, listen, no, we've done it for so long. We think we kind of, we feel we live the line and we know what the line is. Uh, how we define it is kind of pretty hard, but we've certainly turned down brands a number of times before. We also, a few years ago, developed a, a spreadsheet that. Uh, so we could actually uh, keep a very clear tab on how much, uh, how many exhibitors were independent and how many weren't, how much floor space was independent and how much wasn't. And as a result, we've kind of turned said no again, not only to partnerships or sponsorship dollars, we've said we had said no to to stands because we didn't want uh, a sense or uh, of of big mainstream dominating. craft dominating and even even to the point where we broke it down granularly to in melbourne how much independence was downstairs and how much was upstairs and so we we kind of go into it um uh we go into into a, a lot of detail and feel that we've kind of walked the line, walked the line quite well and uh, listen along the way we've made a lot of decisions that if if you're an event company you wouldn't have made a lot of the decisions that we have made and that's something because we've all we're proud of because we'd always wanted the event just to we were beer fans wanting to make a great event hmm. and we weren't really event owners or event managers uh wanting to put on a great event to maximize profit we certainly wanted to after those first few very very difficult financial years is that we wanted to create a sustainable event because it wasn't going to be an event if, the, if we didn't but uh we that was really important to us and I was saying yesterday to a few people is that uh, we've been courted by a number of large international event companies um, wanting to buy us and, and we at first we weren't really in the mood to sell. There were things that we wanted to still do a few years ago um, when they approached us but also we just didn't feel that they would have the best interest of the event at heart and to be honest I would like this event to outlive all of us, outlast all of us. I'd love it to be around in 50, 70 years and I'd be very disappointed. I won't be around to be disappointed, but um, it would be very sad for me to think of that idea of it not being around. It's really important to me personally that there's a, there's that that continues uh, to be a leader in the space. And uh, with Mike Bray, the guy who bought it, uh, we have got to know him after over six months and feel very much that he's uh, got the best interests of the event at heart. Plus, he wants to do some of the things that we've been itching to do, which is to, to look at the idea and the feasibility of taking the concept overseas and perhaps expanding in, in other ways that uh, aligns with the brand and Mike's got the time and resources that we with Stomping Ground have less of. Yeah so I guess that was going to be a follow-up why now um, and I guess why now and why this particular I guess you've answered the why. Him, well we hadn't been listen as I said we've been approached a number of times and we've kind of had some discussions there but passed on on all of them uh, we haven't been actively looking for buyers. Uh, Mike approached me via LinkedIn about six or seven months ago. I never knew the man and uh, we, I told Guy about it and we arranged the time to catch up. Or I think we had a phone call. He's a Sydney-based, he's Sydney-based. And uh, he flew down, I, th I can't remember the exact circumstances, but we basically met him, seemed a lovely guy. And over the course of, uh, I guess, the first month or two, we... we kind of talked more and more and then it got a bit more serious he came what really impressed us is he, is he came to every single gabs in australia this year um with some of his colleagues um some of them we he didn't he turned up at brisbane and we didn't even know he was going there so he was he showed a real commitment to understand uh, the event, each market each market and also the maturity of each event like 
Brisbane was our so first crack at it this one. year. Yeah. Obviously, Melbourne is, is the, the oldest and the biggest, and then there was Sydney as well. And so he, he demonstrated a real kind of uh, uh, keenness to understand the event. And it just kind of went from there. And, and um, I was very, very nervous about doing it, to be honest. And I'm still kind of having, you know, <laughs> a little uh, struggling with it. And it's been a bit of a, um, an emotional journey for me because it's been 10 years of my life but probably you know the biggest thing in my life um from a career point of view but uh you know i'm happy you know i think we've made the right decision it's gonna i'm really excited to see what mike and and craig who we're thrilled is sticking around as well with ruda um just really thrilled to see what they can do with it um with all their all the resources and time as i said that we have had less of uh yeah two things i'd kind of add to that is that um and you you asked why now and um and and how that all there's it's it's really interesting because the craft beer space um is pretty competitive there's 650 odd brewers now um and stomping ground with wearing the stomping ground hat um there's a lot of opportunity for us and there was a growing feeling that we were starting to hear out in the in the sort of uh the wider sort of beer community that there was this kind of perception of conflict of interest where as a as a um as a festival, we've got all these exhibitors, um, and as a brewery, uh, we have effectively got the opportunity to get all this intel from the festival, and we can then use that intel to get almost an unfair advantage as a brewery to um, to sort of then uh, be more competitive than, than our peers. I'd, I'd heard that before, the, the data gathering of who's spending money on what. I feel like that data's already out there. Well, it is. And, and, and like, I mean, first of all, as, at the local tap house, we buy beer from almost everyone in the marketplace. So the data's there already, like mm. you say. But but there was a real perception that like, oh, if we exhibit at Gabs, they're just going to know what we sell and how much we sell it for and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and like, the honest truth is it's bullshit because we never had the wherewithal to gather that data and really <laughs> do anything with it. Um, as much as, you know, maybe, maybe it could have given us some sort of advantage or, or whatever, but it, it never really did. So it was kind of, and it was actually, to be honest, like if I had to be completely honest, it was a little bit hurtful because we spent so much time and effort trying to be completely kind of even keeled about it and, and, and never cross the line of, um, of, you know of taking advantage of it we, we kind of we never even crossed databases or anything like that because we just thought that well, that's just not right it's not ethical we shouldn't do it and we were so focused on being so fair and then when you get these kind of either insinuations or actual you know um, accusations kind of leveled at you it's kind of like we've we've kind of bent over backwards to make sure that we don't do that and mm. so to have that even insinuated it really hurt and um, and I guess some of that timing was like we're so focused on stomping ground and, and, and growing stomping ground um, and the festival um, is something we're so proud of and, and we've taken it so far and, and it's been a real significant part of the growth of the industry. Um, it just sort of felt like it was, it was a time now to kind of separate the two. Um, and we were, I mean, Steve and I, since Craig's been involved, our, our involvement has... Well, it's been really strategic and creative and, you know, financial and all that sort of stuff. The day-to-day running is very much Craig and, and, and Ruda and, and the team. Um, and we get very involved come festival time. But it was just – it just felt like 
now is the right time to kind of separate the two. Would you yeah. agree with yeah, that? Yeah, well, listen, I think uh, the other thing that's uh, mentioned in our media release as well is that we've had ambitions to take the to have more GABS events, summer events, and in particular looking at overseas markets. And it just had been put on the back burner repeatedly because we just didn't have the time. And it's not. It's in my kind of the way I do things is that I would want to be very closely involved in those sort of expansion of, or the development of those expansion events, and it just get get put get kept on getting put on the back burner and we were over at the Brewers Conference in Denver and we had stopped in LA and looked at sites for a potential uh, American version of Gabs. We'd met with some rock star brewers who had committed to getting on board. Firestone Walker. Yeah, without down. naming. Yeah, yeah without names. naming names. <laughs> but any, others, any others guy? Yeah, I Get, could, keep going, guy. Obviously I shouldn't. Because <laughs> we had this, th- well, the strategy... 10 years ago was let's get the best brewers on board and the rest will follow and we've that if we were to go into overseas markets that was the, would have been the strategy then so we spoke to quite a number of of a-grade brewers from across america and they all said we're on board and then we kind of got back to melbourne with the with the intention of following up and and taking it to the next step and we just got busy with stomping ground again and so it was getting really frustrating for me uh, in particular well i'll speak for myself it was getting very frustrated that we weren't carving out the time to do it and then also I was very conscious of the fact that if we were to do these things which I wanted us to do which was you know four five six seven eight nine events um, around Europe and America and Asia and all that sort of stuff is uh, that was going to take me away not only from stomping ground which our shareholders wouldn't like as much uh, like they certainly came on board to stomping ground knowing that we were involved with gabs but if we suddenly added overseas events and I was away for another two months they wouldn't like that Mm. but also away from my family and that was something that uh, I just kind of thought shit I really want to do it but at what cost and so when then Mike approached us and he has these ambitions and he would be singularly focused on on exploring those and I kind of thought well listen as I said I think he had the best interests he of the event at heart and I think and he said to me repeatedly and I hope he's I believe he's going to be true to his word that he's going to reach out to us um, often to seek our guidance um, and counsel for what we th- what you know what our thoughts are about where he should go and how we should go about it so yeah is this a clean break as such for you guys or is there some you know involvement over the next we have a two, two two year process where we uh, and i'm very happy to to be involved in that like we have to uh, i think we've got a, a day a month that we have to kind of be available and we have to attend those events and uh, the each of the sessions of each of the events and, and give and, some guidance and, yeah. um, from like, from a creative point of view and a financial point of view just in terms of where we think we, it should go yeah. and, and it's it's not particularly onerous and it's it's a probably a minimum of what we would hope to be to yeah be you guys would still want to have that completely like <laughs> if 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 I'm not asked that, I'll be disappointed. Yeah, I want to have the input. And know? Mike said again, yes, he said to us yesterday again that he hopes in 10 years we're still in, uh, involved in, in some way, shape or form. And that to me is the best possible outcome. If, if, uh, and that was part of the reason that, I, like I was, I was the more reluctant of the two of us to do this deal because I was just, it just, I just was, it, I'm, it's so go. part of me. But ultimately, you know, it was these little things that, uh, that were discussed that made me think, okay, it's the, it is the right time. It allows us to focus on stomping ground. And he, he, I think he genuinely uh, understands that we're, we've been so critically involved in the success of it to date and uh, it might be the, a good idea to, to call on us from time to time into the future. So come... Gab's first day in Melbourne. Are you going to be on the microphone? Or are you going to be counting tokens? He's definitely going to be the. <laughs> he'll be the golden tonsils. Luckily, I don't have to count tokens anymore. <laughs> Thank this <laughs> fucking god. It wasn't. Listen, it wasn't part of the agreement, but I. Uh, 
Pete Mitchum said to me yesterday, what's that expression over with my over my dead cold body or something like that? They'll extract the microphone from my hand. So, <laughs> okay. I don't know. Maybe Can I'll you do, imagine maybe I'll, him giving up the mic? Well, I, maybe I'll do like guest announcements. It is like a synonymous uh, <laughs> and, and voice, voice, of, voice of God. Yeah, exactly. I was reading, voice of God, I'll take yeah. that. I was reading back through that article that I wrote two years ago now and there's a moment which I remembered reading it was when you, I think it was a Saturday morning session and just before you know the bell rang, you were like, you turned to me, and you're like, how how good is this? We built this, and you were, you know, there was an excitement there, which I think you don't want to lose, right? No, I don't. And listen, and, and Justin sends us a lovely uh, email the other day, very touching email. Which he's um, going to cry. I'm going to yeah, got to be careful now. You're allowed but, to cry. Uh, it's he fine. said, um, what did he say? He just said, take stock of what you've done, because I personally don't do that enough. What we've what we've done is pretty incredible, I think. And so there were there are times that I force myself at Gabs in particular to look out over that hall when it's full of people on a Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, and realise God, this this all came from you know a little idea that we had you know nine nine or so years ago. But um, the microphone thing is like it's a bit of a joke, and I've got a um, they gave me a mic, like a plastic gold microphone at one of the <laughs> rap parties a couple of years ago. But we had a uh, we had an MC for the first year or two, and I and. Never quite, never quite. Lovely guy, great, much better voice than I did. But I kept on saying to him, "Could you say this, or could you list these brewers, or that were going to be up in the thing?" And he, he, he just didn't know their names or couldn't pronounce it. Or Mm. and I ended up just saying, "Listen, respectfully, I'll just." He actually asked me to do it. He said, "You're the actor, you do it." And I said, "No, I don't think." And so he did, and he did a brilliant job. So thank God he did it, and I didn't. (laughs) So it's just happened, just to happen that way since. And it's uh, listen. we always hope that you don't. I, in a perfect world, you wouldn't make any announcements. The only reason we have always done it is to kind of push people towards Pete Mitchum's classes. Uh, usually, that's the main reason we get onto it. Um, or the entertainment. That's or the entertainment. Out. It's usually just to draw people towards that. But I guess as each year has progressed, and when you get into places like Sydney, where those sort of exhibitor stand, um, class or master class things are out in the open. There's less of a need. So a perfect event would be not saying anything at all. Mm. Can, can I get a bit businessy for a sec? You sure can. Um, so in terms of a, like a businessy kind of thing, you were asking about timing and all that sort of stuff, just sort of bigger picture. Um, every time you open up a new um, festival, um, it takes somewhere between two, sort of around two to three years or maybe four years, depending on, on the size of the market, to actually become um, – to, to pay for itself, to become profitable. Um, That's so just to become profitable. You've got to then repay the correct what, what you've lost already, <laughs> and and some some are more loss making than others, and, and others are like come into the into the black sooner. Um, and after sort of opening up four different markets over the last sort of nine years, um, we th- there's opportunity domestically, absolutely to to grow, and those opportunities were there for us. And like Steve said, if this was our complete focus i feel we could really take advantage of those and just kind of sweat the assets we've already got um really um maximize what we're getting out of this um just from a business point of view but the real growth is in opening up new markets again and those new markets for us and we've debated really hotly which markets they are the us is attractive because it's kind of a bit of a mecca for beer the other real attractive markets are Asia because of the time zone and because of the fact that they're far less mature than than the time zone uh, than the the the, the other markets, um, and so there's a fair bit of debate. But each one of those and then there's Europe as well. Europe so is, there is kind another of three one. Three areas that we were looking, at. And, and we're really keen. Like every one of them has some advantages and disadvantages. The reality is that 
as Steve said, it takes you away from your family and your other business for a lot of time. You, you have to invest a fair bit, both time and money to activate those markets and get those markets running. So wherever we are now, you kind of go, you have to sort of go backwards before you go forwards. Mm. And, um, and that's, you know, that's a risk because there's no certainty that that's actually going to come to fruition and actually happen. Um, and sometimes you kind of feel as though maybe I just got to lock in the value that we've created um, at some point in time rather than, because we're, we're, we're so, we're so in love with the industry and have seen it progress so incredibly over, over the years that at some point in time we kind of go, well, and also just from a very personal point of view, um, and this is more speaking for myself than for Steve, at some point in time you've got to go, I'm leveraged up to the fucking hilt here. I've got to do something, right? Because if I don't do this, then it, it all could come cum- crumbling down at any, you know, make one little wrong move and you're stuffed, right? Mm. So at some point in time, you kind of go, well, I need to sort of de-risk my entire life. And and this is kind of, there was a big decision because you don't, you don't want to kind of, you don't want to have to make these um, calls because it's kind of like a kid that you've got, and you don't want to sort of you know sell your kid because you love it so much. But at the same time, well, kind I don't of know. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, it kind of like um, to to sort of have that breathing space and not feel as though you, you kind of leverage up to the hilt anymore. And and it actually gives me it's such a sigh of relief because first of all, there's plenty left on the table for Mike and his group to sort of take it further. There's so much opportunity. But for me personally, and I, I guess I'm speaking for Steve to some extent, uh, to some extent, all of a sudden it allows us to be a little bit more um, uh, uh, sort of um, less risk averse when it comes to stomping ground because all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, we can maybe take a couple more risks and we can do a couple more things that you might not do when you mm. kind of leverage so you know so high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um. So Stomp, Stomping Ground, now you're currently building two brew pubs? Yes. One at an airport mm-hmm. and one, uh, what suburb? Rabin. So that's two more brew pubs than most people are building. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> yeah, listen, it's, it's great. Listen, ti- like timing's always interesting. You, never, some, you always plan these things to perhaps be wider apart than they are, but it is what it is, and we've done this before. It's We somehow, or usually manage to pull them off somehow. Bite off more than you can chew and then chew like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so the airport's going to be open December 15th. Cool. Which get you get, get you guys to come along. And Ooh, I'm not sure if we'll have a... approaching pretty quick, isn't it? It is <laughs> yeah. very quick. They're starting work next week. I'm um, flying out on the 20th, I think, to New Zealand, so... Perfect. Yeah, perfect so timing. come out and... Uh, we, it, the, you know, one of the funniest and... Funniest things people said on social media, media when it was announced was well, people who live in the area uh, uh, kind of, I think, half seriously talking about going to the airport for a night out, <laughs> you know, without flying anywhere or picking one out. It's just they, you know, there's not many good pubs maybe around that area yeah. and they think they're going to uh, catch an Uber to the airport and, you know, that's go through funny. security at, at Virgin Terminal <laughs> have and have, have some beers there. So that's really exciting because, as you might know, I think in our research, I think there's only three or four breweries in airports in the world. Um and we think we're going to do as good a job, if not better, than uh, all of them. Um, all of them, all four of them. Uh, and then Marab... Not, not that we think much of ourselves at all. <laughs> well, you know, as I said, we kind of... I'm not, I'm not afraid to say we're kind of trying to do the best we possibly can, and I'm confident we can do a great job. And then we've got Marabin happening, which um, is going to be a, a marginally bigger than what we've got going on at Collingwood. Most of our brewing operations will centre out of Collingwood, but we're going to have this brew kit um, there to brew at both there and the airport. Um, 
And that's certainly We've part... Got a six heck at the airport and a 12 heck at Moorabbin. Great. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and um, so we'll be doing with some of our one-off beers down in Moorabbin and we're going to have a brewer down there a lot and there'll be a brewer once a week, I think, once or twice at a least. week at the airport. Um, and, uh, you know, that's... Listen, that's part of... One of our strengths, I guess, is that hospitality thing and we've, we've uh, honed it over... The, 10 years or 11 years in particular with the tap house and, and stomping ground and uh, it's what we enjoy most like uh, the last thing I think we want to do is to, to open up um, you know fa- put, a, put a brewery in a factory and do that but as I, I, I remember saying to James Atkinson I do I want to do that about, <laughs> about seven years ago I think uh, brew pubs were so underrepresented in Australia and I think that it, clearly we're seeing now um, a, a, a big explosion and I think we're not even kind of we're not even at the real start of the bell curve of, of what we're going to see popping up all over the place I think you have to have a, a venue to uh, to connect to that community and if you don't you're going to be finding it very very hard so that's our plan is to, to open a few brew pubs yeah I was going to say does the ambition that you had for uh, Gabs you know expanding that internationally um, or even you know to more cities does now that transfer to stomping ground Oh, listen, our focus at the moment is very much on Melbourne. It's a lot easier, to, especially with young families as well. We, we obviously had the, the tap house in Darlow and, and that became very hard for us and we took the eye off, uh, our eyes off the ball there because we just got less interested in going up there um, when we had very young kids. Um, so at this point in time, for the foreseeable future, we just want to kind of uh, win at home as much as we can and... and um, and then we'll see what happens. But everyone knows. No grandmaster plan to take over the world. Like it's like okay. le- it's less as we get older um, and uh, and less uh, a bit more travel averse. We kind of um, realise that we just we live in a pretty special place and and we love what we do here and and um, and, and you know we're pretty proud of being from from Melbourne and so it's a real focus for us. We'll see what happens after that. Never say never, but at the same time, it's kind of like we also want to enjoy the ride. Like we've kind of, I think, gone down, like sort of opened the opened the window or the or the or the gate to what it would look like if you went big and did really crazy things, and and realise that maybe that's just not what we want to do. Um, we just love doing what we do and we want to enjoy the journey. Yeah, like I think it's it's like we first hatched the idea for stomping ground. I think about six years ago. And the market's just radically changed since then. So I think it, when we first started, yeah, we thought probably we'd like to be a national brand. Um, but we've adapted, I think, a little bit. And our focus now is very much uh, let's just do what we can to, to go a mile deep in Melbourne and rather than a mile wide across the country. You know, the resources that you need to do to effectively, you know, build a brand out of Melbourne or outside of Victoria is extremely costly, extremely hard to do. I think uh, harder than ever before. And um, as Guy said, I think we just, you know, we can do, we're very happy with Stomping Ground and how it's growing and, and uh, we, the, we, the we don't need to take over the world. Yeah, we, I, we, I, yeah I think uh, we've, we've kind of done big things, obviously, with Gabs and I think we're quite happy and content with where we're going now and it's, um, I'm looking forward to just knuckling down and putting some of the things that were in the to-do list at Stomping Ground that we've, we're really excited to do but haven't had the time to do, to start putting them into place now that we've got a bit more time. Uh, how about where we're sitting now, the tap house? Does yep. this always remain the tap house, or does listen? There's no listen. It's our baby. I think this would be even harder to let go of than the, the than Gabs. I think it, we've uh, this is where it all began uh, from in many respects. Um, I'm never going to say never. Like we've had this for ten or eleven years. We flirted with the ideas. Of twelve years in Feb. Twelve years in Feb. <laughs> you know we've um, you know we have discussions about it from time to time. To be honest, but you know we love it, and it's um, it doesn't require much of us. Uh, like Justin and his team run the venues so we really just turn up and and come along to ale stars or 
you know, come to various events and or come here for our dinners with our family. And it's something that's still, uh, I still see it as, as uh, we're still thrilled that it's considered uh, to be one of the leaders in the, in the country, in the space. Like we don't, we're not on the bleeding edge like we used to before. And that's mainly because we don't have the time to, to do it. As you would know, if the places like Carwin who do it so brilliantly, um, then we know what sort of effort that takes. But we're still very happy with our position in the market. Uh, and we're a great pub, and it's 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 a very very solid, consistent business. Um, so at this stage, we'll just, uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We yeah, we love it. It's it's a spiritual home for us, and it's not going anywhere. And it's closest to us as well. Like we all live, you know, close closer to here than than any of our other venues. We, we did flirt with the idea of um, turning it into a stomping ground venue at one point in time, mm. but then we realised we'd sort of spent such a long time creating this sort of fierce independence. Um, and uh, and championing sort of best beer, and we felt that it was kind of a disservice to the industry to do that. We still have our Gip Street Parallel and our Laneway Lager on tap pretty much the whole time out of the 20 taps, and then every now and then we'll have a, like a seasonal that comes through, or a, or a, um, or one of the smaller uh, the the other brands that come through, the other the other styles. But we think it's such an opportunity to showcase so many other great beers, and, and it allows us to have a great relationship with so many fantastic breweries from across the country and across the world we have like the brewers and chewers and we and it kind of gives us access to um to a really amazing um breadth of of um of beer from really across the globe and and i I think it would be it'd be a real shame to sort of let that go so so when we kind of were thinking about strategy and all that sort of stuff we kind of felt that the legacy of the tap house would be kind of really would disappear if we if we turned it into a stomping ground tap house or anything like that. Mm. But we did flirt with the idea and um, and then came at the other side and said, you know what, tap house is tap house. It champions it champions beer from everywhere and that's what it should remain. And that, um, yeah, it, that said, was one other thing is when when we sold uh, the tap house in Darlow because it, the stomping ground grew far quicker than we expected. And that was what two years ago, two and a bit years ago. It was actually more, believe it or not. Two and a half years. Yeah, ago. It was sixteen. Is that the, the three? The, the guys up there, um, like again, we were reluctant to let that go. We kind of maybe a little too precious about these babies of ours. But the guys have done such a good job up there of just taking it to another level. And obviously, the, the venue up there is benefiting from having people on the ground up there as well. So it's been really good to see them continue doing great things with local independent beer. Uh, hottest one hundred. I was surprised that was uh, lumped in, or not lumped in, sorry, but part of part of Gabs, I thought, because that started here yes. uh, as a exercise for the bar staff, was that yeah, accurate? Yeah, it was a fun and thing. a few customers, yeah. It was yeah. literally just a, we, I think we did a spreadsheet or a survey monkey thing, and it was obviously just a, a bit of a laugh, and, and no one... No one thought that it would get the traction it did, and then obviously there was a momentum. But Th- it w- thanks to some great support from some people like Oz Brews News, yeah, Brews and, News Crafty and Crafty, Crafty they kind of helped us get the word out and attract voters and so mm. forth. And it's obviously it's a bit like a snowball; it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. But um, it, we switched it from the local tap house Hottest One Hundred to Gabs about four or five years ago because it made sense being at Gabs being more national with a wider reach. Um, so it would have felt a bit weird to kind of bring it back to the local tap house. Um, and again, we had ideas in planning of, of kind of creating summer events that might help celebrate the Hottest 100 results and that we just didn't have time to do. And so it, it just felt natural as well that it would be packaged with the event itself. I know um, what the next question is. <laughs> What's the, uh, Guy, can you ask uh, Steve the next question? Then? 
Steve, when the stomping ground is able to participate in the Gabs Hottest 100? I don't know. We'll have. Uh, I, I just don't know. As I was saying to uh, to these guys off air, is um, we've d- we debate this long and hard, um, and I don't know what's going to happen because we'll have to. We'll, we'll have to. Listen, so I can we, listen, I'll put it this way: we, we've always wanted to be involved, um, but we understand that um, again. As Guy says, we we painstakingly tread a line, arguably on the on the leaning towards the safe side too much. Um, but we felt while we were certainly running the poll, it just didn't feel right. And it was it felt like it was a lose-lose situation. If we did well in the poll, we'd get castigated and, and, be, and be potentially wounded by that. Mm. Um, and if we didn't do well, it wasn't such a good thing either. <laughs> so um, I don't know. We'll, time will tell. It honestly hasn't formed any part of any discussion with the new owner, Mike. But um, uh, we'll, I guess we will certainly talk about it. The, one of the things in a, a group chat that I'm in, uh, the first comment when the news broke uh, yesterday... Yesterday was it? Yeah, uh, yesterday. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. yesterday morning. Yeah. Um, was oh, they just they just did it so they could finally win the hottest one hundred <laughs> with, with Gip Street Pale, um, which was our beer of the year last year. Dave, so good. Thank you very yeah. much. So good. Yeah. very happy. With um, uh, you know, the reality is, I don't think we like. Um, if I had to be, I've had to sort of be predictive. I, I, I even think if everything aside, I, I, I still don't think we would um, uh, even. Potentially feature in the top ten. Almost all of our sales are in Melbourne and Victoria, mm. and it's a it's a truly national poll. So we might do all right in Victoria alone, if it was a Victorian poll. But if it's a national poll, I just don't think that we would feature. I mean, you know, the the, the likes of Stone and Wood and, and Bolter and um, even Bridge Road from Victoria, yeah, and so yeah, well, yeah, and, and they've got they've got national mm. distribution. Mm. And I think that I mean they're, they're such amazing beers, and and the people behind them are really incredible. I take my hat off to them. I, 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 I wouldn't see ourselves as featuring in the, even in the top 10. Like as much as so – I don't think that like all of a sudden it's going to – we include ourselves <laughs> and we're going to shoot to the top. It's just not going to happen. We, don't, we just don't have the distribution. Um, it would be nice. Uh, it would be nice. Uh, and obviously we can filter the results in any way and we've got the hottest indie beers and the hottest new beers of the year and so forth. It would be nice if we fared well in the hottest uh, – Victorian only distributed beers. That would be that <laughs> as would, voted that would, by Victorians. Yeah. As voted by Victorians. <laughs> yes, uh, that would be fun. Mm. Maybe we'll kind of uh, we should have written that into the. Yeah, we should have we should have changed the way things. Go. <laughs> anyway. Too late, guys. It's too, too late. late. <laughs> too late. Um, I think Dave, are you? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think there's probably going to be a lot of commentary online as Gabs evolves, um, which I bloody love, as you guys know. <laughs> Watching the commentary online, um, but yeah, I mean, I've always loved. I mean, we both love Gabs. Yeah, it's a special um, feeling to it, yeah. Yeah, and the Hottest 100. For sure. Um, yeah, I guess I want to say congratulations to you guys and thanks for letting us be part of it. Oh, thanks, boys. No, I really appreciate it. I remember when you came um, a couple of years ago when you wrote that article and you were looking <laughs> for all the all the disasters and we were trying to find disasters and the disasters <laughs> yeah, hardly acti- happened. Actively looking for disasters. They, they have happened since. We okay. had Paddlegate last year. We had, uh, I mean, this year. Sorry, Paddlegate was probably the, the one biggest, of the biggest disasters. disasters in when we ran out of paddles. You know yeah, let's, let's finish off on Paddlegate. What happened there? Oh, well, um, we basically... We've never run out of paddles before. We've always had plenty of paddles. We've kind of had so much stock of paddles that we never even kind of reordered stock for like six or seven years. But um, it became apparent during the first busy session, I think, that there were less paddles than the... Sorry? The Saturday day, Saturday Saturday afternoon session, which is obviously the biggest session, that within... I was kind of standing near the front, directing people here, there and everywhere, but the number of people that came up and said, where are the paddles, you know? And I said... Go out to the tables if there's none there, and it just kept on happening. And I kind of knew something was a, was a, it was a right, and uh, 
Anyway, we basically ran out of paddles and we just, it, we were trying to manage it. It was like going back eight years ago and as you said, standing on the balcony trying to fix, thing on the, fix this on the fly. And, and we were ordering new paddles to be delivered, to be the delivered. Next like literally right. we were ring the guy saying can you make you know 2000 paddles by four so kind of who thing. makes the paddles is it a factory or no, is it, was, it a listen it was just a friend a friend of a friend, of a friend, of a friend yeah, kind right. of thing. and he'd made them as i said six or seven years earlier and we painted them with the blackwell paint and so forth so we literally had a, an order in for new paddles and then we sent we found a pallet of well them we went we, i think we sent uh one of our team over to, to stomping ground oh yes stomping ground because we thought we'd have some there um because some of the, the gab's assets just are in the warehouse sometimes because we share them and i think they came back and realized there was a pallet of pallets of pallet of paddles at stomping ground is that right yeah and then suddenly all we, of a sudden we, we, we were all fine but it was a very because people were getting pretty but we had a, well, i yeah. think we had one and a half sessions of just disaster where people were going i've been queuing up and i can't find a paddle and you're going to sort this out yeah. It's well, like, yeah i remember seeing and now that you've mentioned i remember seeing people online just like this is fucking a mess it's an outrage it's a <laughs> well, I, spe- I, I remember I, I i think craig said to me on the radio said can you deal with this steve online so i had to go off into my little kind of corner and just literally just respond to all these people saying it's sorted or whatever it might be but um listen that, and we, it, that's pretty good in nine in, in eight years or so that uh, and if that's the worst i've got i'll uh, i'll be very happy with that well i think it's you know if, to people out there potentially organizing events or festivals or whatever for the scale that you've done it for that long, you can still lose a pallet of paddles and it will, can ruin your reputation in some people's eyes. So. Oh, absolutely. Like every year. Can, and guys guy said, like, it all could, on one thing, it could come tumbling down. Like, mm. I don't know if you remember, I'm going to say four years ago, we had some idiot who put a toilet roll down a, a toilet okay. and it flooded. I don't know if do you. I don't recall. I kind of remember it. So literally, someone at one of the toilets, flooded the toilet the roll, flooded the whole toilet. Underneath that toilet was the electrical distribution box. Oh. So the power oh, yeah. was cut. Uh, and, it, and, and the alarm and went off at the end of session. So after the, uh, yeah, the after Saturday the bars session had closed, fortunately, after bars had closed, but before people had left, so literally five minutes after the bars closed, the alarm. So went then, off. then the then the evacuate automatic building evacuates siren and yeah. announcement. Please, you know, evacuate to the, now. Evacuate to the emergency. And everyone was saying, yeah. "Oh, you guys have just done that so you get everyone out the building." But then, we were actually like seriously going, "What's going on? Is there a fire? What's happened?" Well, four, four because it's a World Heritage listed building. Within about two or three minutes, four lo- uh, brigade, uh, fire brigade trucks had turned up at the front entrance. Yeah, we were kind of having to evacuate. We because we didn't know the source of the problem, and. Um, if that had happened mid-session, we would have been fucked. And then another time, I think the following year, some idiot on no, the... But, but just so you know, so it happened mid, um, like at the break oh, between right, the yeah. two sessions and everybody then came... Uh, we, we managed to get it back up and running so that we were actually ready to go. I think we only opened 10 minutes late for the, for the, se- next, for the next session. session. We were ab- and it was like, went hands it on couldn't have happened at a more opportune time <laughs> because any other time would have screwed us. And we didn't have insurance at the time. Oh, we didn't have insurance. We didn't have enough insurance. Yeah, we didn't have like, you know, like um, trade interruption yeah, yeah. insurance, which we subsequently, that, that, that made us wake up and go, imagine if that happened in the middle of a session, we would have been screwed. So we actually, from then on, upped our insurance and said, we've got to sort this out. And, and then a year or two later, some guy on the way out kind of elbowed the fire escape, kind of uh, the fire alarm, kind of break glass kind of thing. And that is where, fortunately, some, one of our, just a regular customer kind of got him and he was arrested. But again, same sort of thing. So you're that close to, sure. to being a, a real disaster. And Every time. Uh, and breaking you. And so that was, that was always... Oh, and there was the Sydney days. time as well when there were, we had still glassware. 
and there was shattered glass um, in, in and around the ATP, and that became a real issue, and mm. that's what made us um, gave us the motivation we were forced. to we go. Were forced to. Well, we we, we kind of weren't forced to, but we I think we made the decision not not just because of them and what they wanted but in terms of the longevity of the it was clearly the biggest risk that we faced as a as an orga, as an organization as a festival someone got glassed or someone sort of really cut themselves because of these this glass when well, you got thousands and thousands of people on the same place and they've all had some drinks mm. it's a it's a risk that you just don't want to take and mm. Sid, sydney was sydney's always been a very different crowd like it's really been funny between the cities is melbourne is a really well behaved crowd they into sampling sydney they just want to drink and they, they kind of don't drink as much tasters they just go straight to the bars and and drink full glasses Slam so them they, down. They, we the brewers exhibitors do much better in sydney than they do in melbourne yeah. um and then when we went to auckland i remembered because we went to auckland partly because there was an, a previous beer festival that had fallen foul of the authorities and lost its permit because people just got shit faced and we thought when we first went there and the police and the and the uh, licensing people made it sound like it was going to be a really difficult thing for us. But they were the, honestly the best behaved audience uh, or crowd that we've ever had and continue to be. So it's been really interesting to see the different dynamic, but Sydney is, is quite unique. How about, how about Brisbane? Yeah, oh, they're probably pretty bad. In between. They're, 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 it's only one festival in, so we don't have a massive sample yeah. size, but they were pretty well behaved. Well, you tell me 4X stand, yeah. it's a different story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks so much, guys, for, for joining us today. Um, Unreal. Thanks yeah. for your support as well, guys. You've been you have been great supports, and it's been great, Luke. You've obviously been involved uh, with the event. Um, oh yeah, I for guess a full, full disclosure as a professional, I, I have been I guess freelance. Yeah, you've you been guys. writing copy for us for years. If you've read a Gab's tasting note, you've read my <laughs> writing at any point. Um, yeah, so thank you. Like it, you're, you're part of it as well. So thank yeah. you for that, and uh, you know, I hope you continue to be involved and in, into the future. I think we'll uh, end up there at first session doing a podcast Almost again, Dave. Yeah. yeah. We'll be there. Be, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to Even though we obviously have to be to all the events, um, I'm quite looking forward to the day when I can actually enjoy it as a punter. I'm going to be a punter this year. Yeah. This yeah. coming year. Hey, I'll be there. Don't worry about that. Sit down. You'll be the one with the toilet roll yeah, down. Yeah. You'll ruin someone else's <laughs> no. insurance policy. No, exactly. Sit down and have a paddle. It's really fun yeah. to, to have some paddles with it your friends. Really it looks like fun. It really like a fun is. event. Yeah. I'll be doing that for sure. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate Cheers. it. Thanks, Thanks boys. Cheers. Can we talk about it for a minute? Yeah. What do you want to reflect on Gabs or just No, no, Gippy? on Gippy. Yeah. It's hard to quantify how good it is. Like, it's a pale ale. Mm-hmm. It doesn't drink like a pale ale. It drinks like a b- bursty, fresh IPA. Reminds me of, um, we're big fans of the hot water brewing yep. pale back in the day. Yep. Um, or anything that Dave Kurth did. And it reminds me of. That it also part. reminds me a lot of the beers I drank on the west coast of America, yeah. which yeah. is pretty exciting. And also, like, whenever I mean, for the last I don't know eight years, I've sort of thought in my brain with Australian craft beer, there hasn't really been a defining hop forward beer. Mm. Whereas, like, there was always like Pliny the Elder in mm. the US or whatever. Yeah, uh, I think it might be Gippy. Mm. I don't know. It's like, I think I've texted you once when I had like a three or four month old can of it. And I said, this is still great. And then I think you said, what are you doing with a three month old can of Gippy? And I was like, well, that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I could find. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, 
it just ticks boxes on so many levels. It does show how spoiled we are now as well. We're three months old. Is like it's like what are outrageous. you doing? Yeah. Um, I had like a six months old Pilsner, maybe even older from Nine Fingers. We're not going to do recommendations. Yeah, no, no. Today, but this uh, I don't know. This is sort of yeah along those lines from yeah. Nine Fingers Brewery. I think it won a gold at the Indies, and I tried it after the Indies. Yeah, and it was uh, a Czech Pils. Yeah, Czech style yeah. Pils. Um, gorgeous. Like I was drinking it thinking, oh, I wonder how fresh this is because this is from a, a brewery which I think is relatively small. Yep. I'm not sure if they have their own canning line. Um, apologies to them if they, if they you know, are much bigger or whatever. Yep. You know, you, you think if you're doing mobile canning, you're not going to get that kind of lifespan from a Pilsner. It was bloody delicious. Uh, That's great. Yeah. So, I think you know, the, the hard and fast, fresh, raw, some beers... Work. Some business suits, some, some business doesn't. Yeah, some breweries keep oxygen out better than others. Um, yeah, that was a great show. Yeah, it was good chatting to the guys. Yeah, um, as as I think afterwards, I mean, first time we've had them together on the show. Definitely, yeah, and like, I don't know, maybe it's just where we like where we've been at in the life uh, lifespan of Gabs. Like, it's like a it's a special feeling. Mm. Like it just mm. it has its own like uh, life force almost mm. and. Sounds like they're gonna they're keen to continue that. Um, before we wrap up, um, just a couple of almost newsy things that I wanted to mention. Sure, Stone and Wood Brewery is about to open in today, Brisbane. if I'm not much yeah, mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Brewdog is is about to open as well uh, up in Brisbane. I had a sort of photo of the Brewdog one. It looks grim. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, What did you see? It's a photo. There's a just top down photo. It's in the I saw a photo around. too. It was heavily doctored, and it yeah. was. Oh. <laughs> Um, I think they're doing a bit of a journalist jolly up there next month. Okay. Uh, so I, I think we're going to start hearing stories how it's going to go. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Brewdog. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays I've out. I've always thought that like that Brewdog, I mean, maybe it's a bit late perhaps or a bit late to get the most of the maximum impact, but I've always thought like a Brewdog uh, venue of any kind in Australia would be a net positive for the industry. People love it. People do People love it. People bloody love Brewdog. Yeah. Um, and when I say it looks grim, I just want to ca- come back to that. Um, it looked hot. Like the photo was from outside. It looked very Brisbane. Yeah, right. Okay. The, the the trees hadn't had time to grow around it. Right. Once they grow, it'll be it'll bloody be lovely. But it was just like, yeah. oh, if I'm sitting out there in that sun in Brisbane, I'm cooking. I'm going to need a frozen chip on my plate. To yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about all I got. Those, those two things happening in Brizzy. Nice. Dave, where do people find you? At Melb Dave, Insta and Twitter. Um, what's the latest with uh, eats and drinks? Um, we still going. Yep. We had a. We, I, I always thought weekly would be a bit ambitious. Yeah. Um, particularly now, I'm, I'm working a little bit more with Good Beer Week and Independent Brew Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. The last one we did was a really good... Did we talk about that on the show yet? We did. Last show at Future Mount, we yeah. talked about the Lambic Mustard. Is that the one? Uh, that hasn't actually gone up yet. Oh, right. Salty, you're out on that one. Uh, but we did the Lomo Saltado. Oh, yeah, we did. I had a It looks great. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Um, I think next one we're going to do... So the plan for Eats and Drinks was never to be just a cooking show in my kitchen. Yep. Um, one of the ideas was to get out and about. Cool. Uh, How does that work? So do we're going to go visit... Um, hopefully visit a couple of food places that I really like, nice. chat to them about a dish. Um, same with cocktails. Fine. Visit a cocktail bar. Um, it actually started as a cocktail story idea um, and it's morphed into that. Uh, our friends at 18th Amendment Bar in uh, Geelong, who uh, Damien's a, a listener of the show, he has invited 
us as Ale of a Time and us as Eats and Drinks down to go check out their bar. And Sounds so prime. You, um, Definitely. I know I've, I've told him this so many times. Yeah, we're keen. Um, we just got to do figure it, it out. And if Menman, like, is one of the Australia's best bars, it wins tons of awards. Um, it's a bloody cocktail bar in Geelong, which I, I love Geelong, but it doesn't have the reputation. You know, most people wouldn't think that that's the kind of place to for find sure. that kind of bar. Uh, no, let's let's figure it out for sure. Yeah. Anyway, all right, Dave, you need you. to do your socials. Oh yeah, uh, at Isle of Time, at Eats and Drinks. Uh, I've got a good story coming up from Good Beer Hunting in the next couple. Oh of yeah, weeks, so fine. Go read that. Um, uh, what about Hypothepod? At Hypothepod, uh, yeah, last Hypothepod show was really good. Yeah, can't remember what it was about, but it was oh, really but good. It was great. Yeah, all right, nice. All right, subscribe. Cheers, everyone. Bye.